Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! Gee, money, Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Inside Football is back, and we've got more storylines. We've got more blueprints to get into today as the Colts get ready for Week 10. Up next, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm Matt Taylor, and thanks for coming back again this week. Rick Venturi, of course, on the horn with his 41 years of coaching experience. And we're talking about more moves today for the Colts and the coaching staff. And, uh, Rick, you've had about 48 hours to digest the Colts moves and uh, the hiring of Jeff Saturday on an interim basis. But let's start first with the Frank Reich part of it. Again, recap what we talked about on Monday. What are you feeling? How are you feeling about this move, a coaching change made in the middle of the season for the Colts after the offense has struggled so much to this point? Yeah, it's it's always stunning, uh, you know, when you do something during the season, you know, particularly with somebody like Frank who did have – a really good resume early here in his career and did some really good things and is a really great guy with it. I mean, it's, it's stunning in that sense, but the reality of it is, is if Frank hit the high watermark uh, on Christmas night in Arizona, you know, with that great last second victory mm-hmm. uh, to go nine and six, to put himself in the driver's seat, you know, and then the meltdown, I think particularly the awful meltdown in Jacksonville at the end, then the disappointing start against two, you know, perceived underdogs to play poorly and tie. And I, I think then along with the, the, the just not being able to destroy Tennessee, you know, when the owner has mandated that you win the South, that the South is everything and we've got to beat Tennessee and then to get swept by them. Uh, I think all those things were a slippery slope. And then as I told you, and you and I have discussed this a lot, as, as I told you walking out, Sunday was the day. I mean, you, you always have that day as a, as a head coach or a coordinator that just goes south on you, and it becomes an embarrassment. It becomes a demoralizing game, and that becomes the final straw. Not that you were necessarily going to be fired the next day, but you were really fired on Sunday at New England. There's no question about it. So, uh, and, you know, since that Christmas Day, it's kind of staggering, but with a winning record overall, we're, you know, since that Christmas Day, we're 3-7-1 and one with, as you said, just putrid offensive statistics that, you know, Frank is the de facto offensive coordinator, so he takes the hit on two levels there. And the head coach is always going to take the hit, no matter how bad it is around him, you know, he becomes accountable. In other words, the buck stops there, so... Um, it isn't surprising to me that, that Frank is no longer the coach of the Colts. It just is a little bit stunning, you know, when it actually happens. And then after more time and thought on the other side of it, what have you concluded about where the Colts are at and what they're doing with eight games to play, uh, giving the team to, to Jeff Saturday with no NFL experience? Yeah, well, well that's a little shocking, uh, you know, in that sense, I, I think that's shocked. I mean, Jeff has admitted himself that he was shocked personally. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, I'm not I'm not speaking out of school. You know, it's tough for me because I'm a football lifer. I'm a guy that so respects the profession, so respects the the grind, the paying of the dues. 
And for the most part, the great coaches in this league, if you look at them today, are the Belichicks, the Reeds, you know, the Grudens, the, the Pete Carrolls, uh, the Sean Paytons, even Mike Tomlin. I mean, those guys have all coached high school, college, ground their way. And it isn't so much uh, that I resent the, the, the paying of the dues. I, I think that's overrated. It's just, you know, I, I just respect that you learn the craft at every level in order to handle the job. Now, on a short-term basis, I'm not sure that that's really that important. If it's if we're just talking the eight games, I'm really not sure about that right. because, you know, you know, and I've said this before. First of all, Jeff is a very sharp guy. He's a very smart guy. Um, you know, he's a very good communicator with all, and he has that kind of homespun charisma about him. He really does. He has a link with the great past here. Obviously, those are the reasons that he's here. And so in that sense, sometimes I think, and I've done it all, I've, I've, become, an, I've become an interim coordinator, a coordinator, I've become the interim head coach twice. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I'm very familiar with that. And it's, it's actually easier, in my opinion, of all this time, it's actually easier to take over as the head coach because the head coach is a management position. It, you manage players. You manage the clock. You manage the practice, the way of life. But you, you really only at game time probably make five decisions that are significant, particularly if you're not a head coach coordinator, which I was in Indianapolis, but I was not in New Orleans, and it was one of the reasons I did a better job in New Orleans. Now, you know, whether or not you think Parks Fraser is ready or not, at least it's a decisive move you know, to get another guy to call the plays. I thought that was critical. You have to be very decisive with your staff. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't knock me out that his claim to fame, he was a GA on the Arkansas State staff that won the for the Cure Bowl or whatever it is. But, you know, at some point, a guy has to have an opportunity to call his first play. I remember when Nick Saban was considering hiring Will Muschamp as his defensive coordinator at LSU, and he, he and I talked about it, and he said, Rick, I just worry about him. He's never called a play. And I, I said, Nick, I, did, I had to call my first play. <laughs> you had to call your first play. If you think the guy's good, go with him. You know, and I, I think that's, you know, that's what you're doing. I think he has a much tougher job. Uh, I, I think play calling, both offensively and defensively, is actually the toughest assignment in the National Football League because you're now – where I said the head coach might be making five decisions and his personality may be more important, coordinators making between 50 and 70 within about 20 seconds. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's a much, much different, uh, much, much different situation. But it's a decisive move. Uh, you go with it. And, again, I, you know, the thing about this, this season is not lost. I, I, it really isn't at 3-5-1. and one. Uh, and, you know, I've looked at the three teams we've got coming up, and we'll get into the Raiders in detail, but the Raiders in Pittsburgh are really having a terrible season at 2-6. and six. And obviously they're sandwiched around a great team in Philadelphia. But, I mean, all is not lost. If you can, if you can ride the ship, and I do believe in my heart, and maybe I'm still buying into what I thought in August, I don't think this team is as bad as it looks Sunday. Well, and let's pick up there because, as you said, you, you've been through it all from a from a coaching, you know, from a resume standpoint. Your experience, as you said, you've you've taken over two different times on an interim basis to be the head coach. What are some things that Jeff Saturday is going to find out that he that he has to deal with that maybe he didn't think was on the radar or on the desk of a head coach? 
Yeah, and it's really important that you do it now. You've got to live in the now. There's no time here. Uh, we're getting ready to play the Raiders. It's Wednesday. Uh, you're having your first big meeting with your team. So all this stuff has to handle, handle simultaneously. I think, number one, <clears throat> you have to fill the leadership gap now. There can't be any gap between you and Frank. You have to establish yourself in that building, number one, now that you are the leader. You You can't play your way in. We don't need any Frank Reich bashing. None of that is necessary. But you have to be decisive in everything. And don't be afraid to make changes, whether it's practice tempo, practice schedule, whether it's how we dress on a game, what we eat. Immediately take over and take charge. Number two, and this is really critical, you've got to embrace your staff because don't kid yourself. It's not ever going to come out, but there's a lot of resentment. There will be a lot of resentment, particularly with the veteran guys that were passed over for this. I mean, this is a little bit different. It's not like they elevated one of their own who was maybe an obvious choice. They didn't do that. So there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some of that. And if you don't have that staff with you, you're not going anywhere. So it's really important that you embrace those guys, that you sell them and convince them that if we all pull together and win, it's going to be great for everybody. Number three, you've got to, you've got to sell your team on how and why you're going to get better. This isn't about ESPN sign by, uh, you know, you know, uh, basically ESPN sound bites yeah. or yeah, I was analyst, right. by this. That, that's none yeah. of that's going to last. What you have to do is say to them, okay, here's what we're changing. We're going to be more of this. We're going to do more of this. This is how our offense is going to change. This is how it's going to change on game time. This is what we're going to find out of it. Because pro players, I've learned over the years, they're motivated by one thing in the end. They'll say one thing, but they are motivated by coaches who show them the way to win, who put them in the best position. And a lot of that is technical. It's very technical, and pro players understand it. So, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not handshaking now. It's not, you know, kissing babies' butts or any of that. This now has to be real with them. And then I think number four, this sometimes the hardest thing to do, is stay in your lane. You're not going to be Bill Walsh, X and O-wise. You're not going to be Buddy Ryan, X and O-wise. We know that. You've been given this job because of your link to the past and your perceived leadership skills. So that's what you've got to do. Define your offensive staff, which I think he's doing. Obviously, he's already named a play caller, so we've, got, we've done that. And get out of Gus and Bubba's way, lead, mm-hmm. and command the locker room. Those are the four key things that you have to do here, and you have to do them all immediately and, you know, and, and all in one, in unison. Yep, no question about that. And again, uh, Jeff Saturday is going to meet with the media later today as we tape this on uh, sort of late morning on Wednesday. Uh, again, Jeff Saturday going to talk with the media uh, here in about an hour as we sit here and tape this right now. All right, Rick, like we said, um, despite all of these changes and the questions, uh, the Colts still have games to play. Game coming up on Sunday. Las Vegas is up next. Let's talk about them on the big picture. They're 2-6. and six. They're coming off a loss to the Jaguars last Sunday, and they're in last place in the AFC West under first-year head coach Josh McDaniels. Um, they've lost three of their last four games after an 0-3 start to the season, and Sunday for them – 
mark the third time this season that they've blown a 17-point lead. They've also been a part of five one-score games, and they've lost them all. So it's not like they're getting blown out, but they don't have that clutch gene like the Colts did uh, at the beginning of the season. They've got outstanding skill players on offense, Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro. Uh, They've got the elite receiver now on the outside, Devontae Adams, tight end Darren Waller when healthy, one of the toughest hybrid matchups in the NFL, but he's been out since week five with a hamstring, but there's a good chance that he plays on Sunday against the Colts. Uh, Then, meanwhile, on defense, um, that's been their Achilles heel all season, 28th in scoring, 28th in total yards. Um, They're a pretty basic team on both sides of the ball, Rick. It's sort of like playing New England in some ways because of Josh McDaniels and his background with the Patriots. So what else stands out to you about the Raiders coming into this game on the big picture? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. If you kind of look at the game within the game, it's kind of an interesting matchup in the sense that, you know, it's good versus good and it's bad versus bad. Uh, You know, the Raiders are very good, and I'll get into detail on those guys that you're talking about. They are tremendously skilled on offense. I mean, it's almost staggering that a 2-6 and team would have the kind of skill that they have. And so – I mean they're real I mean they're 14th in scoring, you know, I mean they're top 16 in the in total offense. This is a very good team that I think they're even better than that statistic to be honest with you. And they're playing against a Colt team that is now up to number 5, the fifth best defensive team in the league, and I think the 13 they're 13th in points given up, but I think that's skewed. I think that's misleading because of all the turnovers and the punt blocks and stuff like that. I think their scoring statistic is without question more towards five if you really looked at it. So this is going to be really good against good. I think another kind of uh, sidebar is remember that Derek Carr and and Gus Bradley played against one another every day in practice for a year. So, you know, they're definitely going to know one another uh, inside out in that sense. And I, I look forward to that just kind of as a football geek. And then on the other side of it, something's got to give. I mean, both teams have been bad. I mean, the Colts come in 32nd in scoring. We, we're not going to chronicle all that stuff, but we know what it is. And their defense can't stop a cold. I mean, they're, they're 28th in scoring, 28th total. And it really has been their Achilles heel. It's been their Achilles heel for years. They've not been able to put a good defensive team together. But you're exactly right with McDaniels in there, 2-6. and six. You know, this is his third time around. You know, he's 11-17 in Denver. Um, you know, he was he failed at offensive coordinator in St. Louis, which people forget, and now he's 2-6. and six. So the boy wonder hasn't exactly knocked it out of the park like everybody thinks. But offensively, great skills. You're exactly right. They have two, I would say, premier players. Maybe, you know, guys that are in argument for the top position in their league and that's Devontae Adams. He's already got 48 catches. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a tremendous split end. He really is. He's just a great player. And he's, if you're going to have a conversation on who's the best receiver in the league, he's right there. I mean, you're talking about that. The other guy that I love in terms of just a football analyst is Jacobs. Jacobs is 5.4 rushing. I mean, he he is a beast, Matt. And he can take it to you. He can spin out of a tackle. He can hit a home run. He can catch it and go. He I tell you what, he really impressed me, and I think they were trying to trade him in the beginning. I think they they swallowed the whistle on that one. And then uh, you mentioned Renfro. Renfro is, you know, as good a third down back. He is so much like Welker and Edelman 
you know, and he took Kenny Moore to school last year in the fourth quarter when they had to get that win, and he he beat him like a drum at the nickel. Yeah. And then the other wild card, and he didn't play last week. He's been injured. Yeah. And they, but he's he's been active, but he hasn't played, and that's Waller. And if Waller's there, then you have to really be careful because Waller is one of the tight end, tough tight end matchups in the league. Uh, so they've got that, and we're going to get into it later, but I think you and I both share our um, belief in Derek Carr. Derek Carr has been, is to me, one of the most underrated players in the league. He's been definitely a cult killer. I, mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says, and I'll talk about him in the must. And then on defense, it's, they just haven't been very good. Uh, you know, Crosby is the playmaker. You know, their left end, he's a kind of a poor man's uh, Ted Hendricks. Uh, he makes plays. He's got 31 sacks. Jones, Chandler Jones, who they you know got in free agency, has a ton of sacks, over 100. But he has been really quiet. But those two edge guys are the guys they cut. You know what was considered one of their top guys, Abrams. They cut him yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So all of a sudden, uh, Harmon will be doing that damage. But they're really basic. They're nothing. I expected the Graham, who coached at New England, to be very much like the Patriots. But they're very basic, and they're very basic on offense. It's it's when I say New England, it's really New England light and lighter because <laughs> it's, it's not nearly the the strategy and the and the and the yeah. problems that uh, that the. Uh, that the old Patriots give you. There you go. It's New England with less calories. I like it. (laughs) A lot less calories. I mean, you know, the big three for Rick Venturi is always points given up, QBR, and uh, point in the turnover differential. I always think you can can (laughs) judge a team. Points given up, 28. Now, here's here's the tough one. Carr is still number 10 in QBR. And then turnover differential, they're minus two, so it's kind of neutral. But, you know, that's what I see. All right, well, let's roll them out. Let's get out the blueprints. Let's talk about how the Colts can slow down the Raiders here on offense because the Colts have been playing, as you said, some fantastic defense the last couple of weeks. They need to carry that over uh, in this game in order to beat the Raiders and snap this three-game losing streak. It all starts with Derek Carr at the quarterback position. He's the Raiders' all-time leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns, and last season he threw for a club record 4,804 yards, and they have a great run. Running back Josh Jacobs, he can run it, he can catch it. He's close to a thousand scrimmage yards on the season. He's got six rushing touchdowns. He ranks fourth in the NFL so far this season in rushing and is averaging over four yards per carry on yak. And then they've got former Packer great Devonte Adams. He's now overplaying with his former college teammate and Derek Carr. He has almost 700 receiving yards and seven touchdowns on the season. He ranks number one in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns among wide receivers since 2016. Hunter Renfro had a big game against the Colts last season. He's their third down specialist. He had seven catches for 76 yards last year against the Colts, including a big catch on the game-winning drive that sunk the Colts in that game. Darren Waller might be back in this game at tight end after missing significant time with a hamstring injury and since 2019 he ranks tied for second in the NFL among all tight ends and catches third in receiving yards and is tied for sixth in receiving touchdowns so they've got a lot of impact players that have accomplished a lot but Rick they don't blow you away statistically as a team on offense the one thing they're not going to do is turn the ball over they only have seven turnovers all season that's uncharacteristic of a seven or a two win team to this point on the season so what else stands out to you about the Raiders on offense as we look at your musts no that's a pretty good evaluation of this team 
you know, they're, they're very, very interesting. And you talked about this. I talked about this, and I'm going to get into it. Obviously, Adams and Jacobs are handfuls. Those guys are premier players uh, in the league. Uh, Renfro, as you said, is a really, really terrific slot. Um, and then if Waller's there, we have to be really careful because that can – you have to adapt your game plan if, if Waller is there. They've got a good run-blocking offensive line, but they're like most teams in this league. They really struggle, and their left guard, Parham, is really – he is the weak sister. I mean, he is uh, – Parham is a rookie at left guard, and he, he, he really – he can't block very well, particularly on protection. Uh, but I would say a couple things schematically. You are going to see more two-back offense, 21 and 22 percent per – uh, 22 personnel. He kept he's kept that. Uh, and and Mike Lombardi Jr. is his offensive coordinator, who I'm very good friends with his father, Mike, who was a GM for years. And they 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 kept the Gruden running game. They keep that a lot of two back offense. I've seen more eye and what I call eye far or eye near with the you know where the fullback is offset, and they run a ton of leads and powers. I mean, it really looks old school, but, you know, the the difficulty in that is modern-day defenses don't see it. They, they just don't see it very much. And even when they get in their 11, their three wide receiver sets, uh, they'll take Moreau, the tight end, and motion him back in the backfield and create a near and far set and run right there. So that's that's going to be unique in terms of looking at that type of running game. It's 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 really different. They really, if they get behind an account, they're a big screen team. They like to get back on track with screens from a general standpoint. So, you know, again, when they get, you know, uh, it's second and long, it's either run the ball and do just what you opposite did because you failed on first down. If they run it, pass it. If you passed incomplete, run it. It's they. I, I call that play opposite. And then a lot of um, a lot of West Coast on second down, quick rhythm, first down. A lot of running game and play action and shots. And what Carr does a good job of is he's one of the better touchdown checkdown guys. He'll, if he's got a deep, he'll air it out. If he doesn't, he gets it to the right checkdown guy. So, and then when you get on third down, it's it's a scheme scheme when it's third and short. When it's third and middle, you got to defend Renfro. And then it's third and down, they're going to screen or go downfield. Okay, must. Number one, <clears throat> you've got to control Jacobs. Get your big boy pads on for these leads and powers. You haven't. Most of these kids haven't seen this since high school. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna pound with him. They they want to take pressure off that offensive line that they know can't pass block. So they're gonna pound it in there. We've got to gang tackle that guy and wrap him up. Okay, you know he's like I said, he's five point four rushing. He is a baller. Now, they'll sprinkle Abdullah, number 22. He'll come in some on third down or for specialized plays. He's where Jacobs is the, is the really the slasher and powerful guy. Abdullah is a little bit more of a loose play guy. So you'll see him some. And Turner is their gadget guy. He's a wide out, but he'll come in to run the speed sweeps. Everybody has a gadget guy today. But number one, we can't let those what I call direct runs, and they're very simple. It's lead, it's power, it's counter tray, and then last week they ran some wham in on the nose. 
But it's the same plays over and over, and that's why they do a pretty good job with him, especially with the backs. So, you know, again, he's this guy, again, is in the conversation for, you know, one of the top backs. Now, number two, and it might as well be 1A, you've got to control Adams deep. You might not be able to take everything away from him, but he is a big-time deep ball 50-50 guy. And what they like to do is get in formations where he's isolated one-on-one on the weak side. In other words, a, a strong set to the right or a trip set to the right where he's back on the left. And if they get you one-on-one, they're going to take your shots. Now, this will be a great challenge uh, for Gilmore. You know, if, if we're going to play our, our basic cover three and one, and Gilmore, you've got to put Gilmore on him, and you have to have Gilmore fight him to the death. Now, I wouldn't let him out there one-on-one. I don't, I, I don't care how good Gilmore is. I would play a one press a three, but then I would roll that thing weak into what we call an eight coverage where you roll up on him weak and play quarters to the strong side. I <clears throat> I would definitely do that on him. I just I just have that much respect for him. You can't come into the game and let him get big plays over the top. I mean that that's coaching malpractice if you actually do that. Also, you're you've got to have a red light and a siren alert. Maybe we can get JJ to to trip to do a siren up there <laughs> when he lines up inside. Okay, if he lines up at number two or in the slot, I mean he's going right down the seam. You might yeah. as well know it. So you know you got to overplay that. So again, Jacob and Adams are are one two, and then you do have to have a scheme for Renfro in critical situations primarily the middle window of third down, which to me is that third and five to eight, because that's when they're going to use his individual skills, the quickness, the jerk routes, the options, the pivots, all those things that he's really um, Edelman-like. And I think that's that's really important because he's going to get it. Now, what I've always liked over time is the ability to – the ability to either double him in that situation – or what we call play a one rat where the free safety ends up the deep safety rather than playing the true middle backs up the corner on top of Devonte Adams and the other safety comes down and he's the robber down in there. So you get a man and a half on Renfro. You can, so you can play Renfro outside knowing that you have inside help. And sometimes you just call a one double the slot or double Renfro and take him out in that situation. Now, not all day, I'm talking about in that critical third down window. And then number four, and yeah, I guess you could this could be number one, but you gotta respect Carr. And I don't have to tell you this. I know you're a car guy just like I'm a car guy. I think he's a terrific quarterback. There's not much he can't do. He's competitive as all get out. Mm-hmm. And despite the two and six record, he is the tenth best QBR guy in the league. I, I think it's really important that you keep him condensed and contained. He's a guy that really sees the field. He can move out of trouble if he has to. He's a good enough athlete that he can move out and extend. But what he does a great job of is he'll sit in the pocket and hold it. Sometimes sometimes it's bad news. Occasionally, you know, he'll take a sack if you can collapse the pocket. But he will deliver late and he will deliver off-platform. He has a great sense, and I think Gruden helped him with this when he was there, where everybody is on the field. So he may be looking down at you, uh, Matt, as the Z receiver coming in, but if if it's not there, 
he'll hold it and he'll just throw it. He doesn't have to be on platform, yeah. and he'll hit somebody like Moreau as an outlet tight end or a running back. He's very, very good finding guys late in the down. I, I, there's no doubt about that. So, again, you have to do a really good job on that. I would say you really have to plaster receivers because of that. You know, most of the time we talk about we talk about plaster receivers on guys that can get out and move like Mahomes and yeah. you know guys like that because of the extension. Where you have to plaster receivers here is because he holds that to the last minute and he will deliver off platform. Now, the offensive line cannot hold up. So, if you, but to me, collapse the pocket. Take away his vision inside. Don't give him inside lanes to find those guys. I've never thought Miller was very good at left tackle. I think he's a real stiff guy. I think you get Ngakwe on him and run the edge. And then their worst, like I said, the worst part of their team offensively is Parham. Parham their left guard, he's a rookie. He honestly gets beat like a drum. We've got to have we've got to have Buckner on that right guard every time it's a passing down, and I because I don't think he can handle him, and so I think in the end sacks and turnovers are a must. And they're and as you said earlier, they're hard to get those turnovers on him, but you got to do yeah. it and attack that left side with movement. And I don't think they can hold up. But again, respect the hell out of Carr and that skilled outfit. All right, that's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football getting ready for the Colts and the Raiders on the blueprints. Let's switch over to the Raiders on defense, and this is where they've not been good. Obviously, this is their Achilles heel, giving up 25 points per game. They rank 26th against the pass, 28th in total yards. They've been terrible on third down. In fact, Rick, they're giving up 60% on third down in their last four games. They're last in the NFL with only five takeaways, 31st in red zone defense, giving up touchdowns 74% of the time. Um, Patrick Graham, the former Patriot, he's now the defensive coordinator in Las Vegas. They only have nine sacks on the season. Again, that's dead last, and they haven't been able to generate much pressure outside of Max Crosby, who has six of the team's nine sacks on the season, uh, and they've gone through some changes. The Raiders released uh, safety Jonathan Abram last week after they picked him up in the draft in 2019. They also put their leading tackler, Divine Diablo, on IR this week with an injury. So what else and who else stands out to you about the Raiders on defense going into this game? No, they're they're really not very good. I'm I'm going to say it right off the bat, and I'm I'm really uh, surprised at how basic they actually play. You would think that Graham would be more more in, uh, influenced by the Belichick me- method, and he has Rob Ryan with him, who also worked uh, with Belichick. But maybe it's just their personnel limitations, uh, you know, and they're trying to keep it simple and trying to at least slow people down, uh, with the exception of their two edge guys. And, you know, obviously, as you said, Crosby is the disruptor. I mean, you know, he's a guy with a lot of good numbers. He's, you know, he's, he's a guy that's got 31 career sacks in a young career, a lot of tackles for losses, knocks balls down, real tall, gainly guy out of the mid American, but he does play a little bit like Ted Hendricks does. I mean, he's the most disruptive factor. Now they brought Chandler Jones in there, you know, who has, a, I think, 102 sacks, they they brought him in there to be the sack guy off the edge, you know, primarily off their right side, off our left. But he has really been quiet. I think he only has a half a sack. And that's that was shocking to me when I watched him and I watched him play. He doesn't look like the same guy. Now, 
I wouldn't trust that because when you have a past like he has, you know he can he can turn it loose. So, you know, obviously we do have to protect those edges, and I'll get into that. I think their interior line is suspect. Uh, obviously, losing uh, Diablo is tough because he was their leading tackler, run and hit guy. Uh, no, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I do like Perriman and Martinez. I, I think they're two pretty decent linebackers. I think their interior players are really average. Um, obviously, Abrams is a surprise in that, you know, he was a big ticket for them, but they finally got tired of him. I think he's a locker room lawyer with it, and they let him go. And Harmon is going to take his place, number 30. And the reason <clears throat> I bring that up is they're very basic in terms of their front. They're almost always over, and they almost always are in cover four on first down quarters. Now, what the, what they'll do to mix it <clears throat> is they'll, and, and it was always Abram. It was always Abram was the blitzing safety. They would either bring him off the strong side or bring him off the edge, or he would play some big nickel. And so it was like an over four, or it was a blitzing safety with a fire zone cover three behind it, almost exclusively, almost every single down. Now, the big change up they use, and if I'm looking at our film, I'm going to be using it a ton. I just watched Philadelphia. They they use it all day. It is the night, it's the 2022 defense is they put five guys, five big guys in there and play double sync right off the bat. They play five guys with a double sync, but they always play man to man free with it. They're they you know again, over simple. They're they're really over simple, which I think plays to our young quarterbacks advantage from that standpoint. Now, if they get in some longer yardage you know, you'll get some other coverage. You'll get a, little, a sprinkling of two and, you know, some some three buzz and things like that. But, you know, they're average. And I, and I, I think their corners are the real liabilities. Um, Averett, you know, he's just never been very good at, at the left corner. And, of course, our boy Yasin is at the right corner. And, you know, he struggles. Robertson is probably their best corner. And he ends up playing the nickel number 21 small guy but a pretty good player. So when you when you look at this team, I think number one must is we have to pound inside. They you know, they're a below average inside interior guys. They they get locked on blocks. I think you can hit them in that over, hit them to the bubble, and if there's any gaps in there, cut it back. Get downhill. Get downhill fast on them. I, I think do a little bit to them what Tennessee did to us because they're so predictable is shift the tight ends over and create even a bigger bubble and pound it right there. Um, now, again, though, alert the big sink because that's the defense that has been our Achilles heel. And if we get that, we've got to get to off-tackle runs, talks cracks, and quarterback designers. They've had a ton of trouble uh, with quarterbacks on that. Always on first down, alert your catch, cats on the edge, and the cat is – strong safety blitz or free safety blitz off the edge. They want to bring that guy for play action and for outside runs. So you always have to account. Don't be caught off guard, okay? And they'll <clears throat> they'll try to hide that from off some, but they, they they don't do a really good job of it. You can you can see it coming and sometimes it just gets there very late, but be alert for it. All right, as far as that's that's number 1. You got to pound him. You got to be able to run the ball. The number 2 and I think this is really very critical, particularly if you get to second and long, which inevitably you're going to be in some second and longs or third down. 
you got to protect the edges. Don't be, you know, I know how low they are in sacks right now, but that has not that has not applied to us. We have got to get Crosby blocked on the, on our left side, uh, uh, on our right side, and then we've got to get Jones blocked. Those two guys, I know Jones only has a half a sack, but this guy has been a premier rusher, and Crosby pretty doggone good. So I'd say number one, you got to protect them, and if they get the third down. The guy they're getting a little bit of, of production out of inside, he was a bust as a defensive end, is Furl from um, from Clemson. Remember, it was the top draft pick. And actually, when they have Crosby at one end and Jones at the other end and Farrell inside, number 99, that's their best team. That's their best rush team. And he's doing a good job, and he'll probably end up being on Nelson although they might kick him over to our rookie at right guard. But, again, protect the edges. Again, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to get into what they're doing now. I just know that Jones has had 107 sacks and Crosby 31. So, uh, you know, you've got to be alert for that. We've got to attack their corners now. We've got to attack Everett and Yasin. I think this is the worst part of their team. Everett is worst. He, he's a guy you want to eat him alive. You want to you want to work on him. You want to take him deep, get him turned, go under him. You want to work his tail off on that on on their left side, and just get after him. And then you want to get after Yasin on the right side. They don't play a lot of cover two. They don't help those guys, so they're one on one most of the time. And you know how you have to attack Yasin. You have to attack him with double moves. He plays very well and plays in front of him. He'll come up and hit. He'll come up and attack the ball. But what you got to do is give him the slant and go, the quick hitch and go, because what happens to him, he fires up there, and then he's very slow to recover. And as you know, he's a walking penalty. He got a big one last week. So there's no change on him. With Everett, you go directly at him. With Yasin, you go after him with a lot of double moves because he will struggle to recover, and he will panic late in the down. And then at the end of the day, we just got to shore up our, you know, <clears throat> the specialized football, situational football. I mean, we've got to be good on third down. We have to get after them on third down. You've already talked about how bad it is. They're 30th, would you say 60% in the last four games? Yeah. yeah. And we're, and we're coming off the worst game in maybe Colts history. Right. We've got to do something about that. Mm-hmm. And then we have to win in the red zone. We have to score points. I mean, the thing killing us is, and it's so uncult like, you know, to be 32nd in the league in scoring and to have all of our turnovers and everything on their side of the 50. And that, you know, along with red zone offense, it's, it's, it's also don't turn it over in those situations. So dominate the chains, and we've got to win those specialized situations. All right. Lastly, Rick, you know, looking at this game, there's there's some juice here. You know, despite the records, Unique Ngakwe is going back to Vegas after a trade this offseason. Um, Rock Yassine gets to play the Colts after that same trade. Uh, as you said earlier, Gus Bradley gets to go up against Derek Carr after being the uh, defensive coordinator in Las Vegas last year. Those two guys squared off head-to-head every single day in practice. Uh, Josh McDaniels faces the Colts for the first time after what happened in 2018. And then you've got Jeff Saturday's debut. You know, this is going to be, uh, again, despite the records, and I qualify this game as the disappointment bowl for both teams, yep. right? Yep. Because everybody had the Raiders competing there in the AFC West. So despite all of that, this is still going to be a fun 
interesting, entertaining game, and we'll see how much life the Colts have after these changes and uh, this three-game losing skit here. Yeah, and, and and with a lot of great players on the field. I mean, yeah, oh, it yeah. will be a tight oh, yeah. game to watch. You're exactly right. I think the Colts have an advantage in the sense that on the short term, I really believe that, you know, that Jeff will, you know, he'll create some juice. He, you know, he has that bit of charisma. I think that, you know, we've become stale, uh, you know, flat. And I don't, I don't want to throw the blame on anybody. It just has happened. And I think we got to have a really chance to, to have juice. I think you approach it from the standpoint that this is a fresh start. There is no past. There is no future. You're you're starting this season over. You're jump-starting it with a new coach, a new play caller, uh, you know, with a good defense, a good special teams. Again, in the next three games, you've got two, I mean, very winnable games, teams that are playing poorly, sandwiched around one of the best teams in the league. So, again, it's a winnable, appoint, uh, a, a winnable opponent. Tune everything out, you know, in the past, tune everything out in the future, live for November 13th in Nevada, continue to play great defense, shore up the punt protection. No question about that. We can't let that happen again. We have no, you know, we have no wiggle room on special teams or defense. Protect the passer at all costs. I don't care what we have to do. Keep people in, whether it's seven, eight man protection we cannot let happen what happened last week. We can't get a repeat of that, you know, and, and just put it on the line regardless of the record. You know, whether, whether it's, you know, your, your job as a pro player, it means that you put it on the line no matter what, regardless of record, regardless of opponent, or, re, or regardless of the, you know, of the venue. And I think you, the players have to take this personally. You know, they, they, we fired a bunch of coaches now. Yeah. I mean, we've yep. fired a bunch of coaches. We've we've eliminated, in some respects, any excuse other than on you. Right. So to me, now it's time for personal accountability of every player on this team to go get this thing done. I could not agree more. There's no doubt about that. That's Rick Venturi with the breakdowns, as always. Really appreciate the time and the blueprints, Rick. Uh, are you a Vegas guy? You know what? I I really do. I like the buzz of Vegas. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been there. I've been there a few times, different different times, yep. and uh, I really I really do like it. I won't I won't enjoy the buzz of it this time because <laughs> I will. <laughs> you know, I do still look at this as a business trip, and I'm I get so worn out by the time we get there. So yeah, yeah. But I I do, I really do. I think there's a buzz about the city that I don't. You know, it's it's the fastest growing place in the United States, even more than Florida. It's become like a retirement, just yeah. just a, re, a retirement explosion. I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'd love to live there, but I do. I really do like to be there. So for sure. All right. So next time you go out there and you do have some time and you're out there for leisure and, and not so restricted in terms of what you're out there to do, but. What what games are you playing? Lay it on me in terms of what you're uh, throwing right, some money down I, on. I'll give you my lifestyle. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I I'm a gambler, but it's at the horse track. My wife oh, and okay. I really share All right. the love of horse racing. We got it in Maryland when we coached out there in Baltimore, and Maryland was very much like Kentucky. <clears throat> yeah. And ever since then, I'm a, I'm a horse fanatic. Just just the Breeders' Cup last week is like my Super Bowl, and I didn't win any money. I tried, but I didn't win any. <laughs> but uh, uh, horse first. I, I think, you know, I, the board games, sometimes they scare me. And yeah. if I play a board game, it's three-card poker. Some some craps or, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, call your but shot I, there, you man. Know, like, 
I'm one of those guys. I, I, I'm addicted. I hate to say this. That's why I can't go in those casinos very much. I get addicted to video poker because Ooh. it's fast. It's not a true slot. It's a slot, but it's not a true slot because you do have some input into the game, sure. and you can just keep playing, and it keeps my attention span going. So they <laughs> call it the they say it's the crack cocaine of gambling. So there, yeah. there you go. It's, that's why they call it a you vice. Didn't need, you didn't need to know all that. We <laughs> next week we'll discuss music for the fans. There you go. Well, I'm not smart <laughs> enough to gamble. That's why I don't. My my brain cannot handle all of these third down conversions and and uh, red zone opportunities, and then also count cards at the same time. I tell you what, so that's though, why I stay as away. You are, as good as you are with statistics, you probably could beat the house. No, like that. no, no. I, I keep it simple. I stay in my lane, right? That's that's where I need to be. <laughs> well, the last time I was in Las Vegas, this is a while back ago, but I lost like two hundred and fifty bucks in five minutes, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm good. Uh, kind of ruined my day. Taylor wouldn't. Mrs. Taylor wouldn't like that. No, no, no. Yeah. So we we had to go to the bargain buffet for the for the dinner that night. So we need to we need to be eating steak this time, right? So all right, Rick. Well, I appreciate it, man. This is a big game. We uh, we broke down all the storylines. So have a great rest of the week, my friend. And uh, we will see you on Saturday in the Big Bird for for travel out west. All right, Matt. Great talking with you. Can't wait till Saturday. All right, man. You're the best. That's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football, the breakdown and the blueprints for the Colts to snap a three-game losing skid. Again, check it out on Colts.com and the Colts mobile app, and be sure to subscribe to everything on the Colts Audio Network. For Rick, I'm Matt. We'll talk to you next week here on Inside Football. So long.